This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. Hey, we're continuing our series, Words That Can Change Your Life, and we've been looking each week at a, a different word. And so the first week, we kicked off with the word no, and it was a very, it's a very liberating word. It's a, it's a word that can declutter your life. Uh, what we discovered is that our lives have gotten so busy. We've said yes to so many things that in the process of saying yes to, to soccer and yes to baseball and yes to softball and yes to that extra meeting and yes to the gym and yes to that and yes to everything, what has happened is that we have squeezed God out of our lives. And so you were challenged to learn to say no, to declutter our life and to make space for God. Sometimes we have to say no to things that are good, to make space for things that are better. Then last week, we kind of picked up with the word yes. And in this case, we recognize that sometimes a life that is always about no is a life that can kill the spirit and so what we discover through the Apostle Paul is that, that God has a big yes for us, that his promises, all of his promises are yes in Christ Jesus for us. And so God says yes to you, and if we live in those promises, if we, if we act upon those promises, if we embrace those promises, then we can say yes back to God. We can say yes back to God every single day. We can say yes to our marriages. We can say yes to our children. We can say yes to, to living a life that is holy and righteous. We can say yes to God. It's a liberating, liberating word. That's where we left off last week. Today, we're going to look at a word that is going to be probably the hardest word to talk about in this series. It's a word that, that it's going to strike at your pride. It's going to, uh, some of you are not going to like the word. It's the word sorry. Now, when I use that word sorry, so I'm not talking about like, like oops or, or my bad or, you know, hey, you made a mistake. No, I'm talking about this deep spiritual examination, an examination of our heart where, we, where, we, where the Holy Spirit starts working inside of us and helps us to come to this place where we're able to, to ask for forgiveness, to give forgiveness, to actually say, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it seems like I've had to use this word so many times throughout my life. I've... Uh, I've, uh, especially with my wife, I've been married for almost 33 years now, and uh, I have used this word so many times. I remember, this is like 30 years ago, my son, my oldest son, Jonathan, who's 31 now, was just about a year old at the time, and I was pastoring a little uh, Hispanic church in the town of Leesville, Louisiana, kind of a tiny little town in the, in the western part of Louisiana. I was pa- pastoring this church, and I was also an associate pastor of First Assembly of God, and they, we, we were in the same building. And, um, and so every week we would play racquetball with the pastors, you know, two to three times a week I would play racquetball with these pastors. And so this particular Wednesday, our senior pastor came to me and he said, Hey, you want to do some racquetball today? I said, absolutely. I was always in for a game of racquetball. So I I said yes to, to, to play racquetball with them. Well, it happens that on this particular Wednesday as well, my wife was working. She worked at the local hospital in the ICU. And so what would happen is when she worked from 7 a.m. to 3 p.m., she would get up early, she would dress Jonathan, our son, and then take him to the daycare, which was attached to our church. She would do that basically to help me out because that way I wouldn't have to get them all dressed up and then take them. She would do it on her way to work. And so she did that. Now, there was a rule at our, day, our daycare that a, a, a little child like that, a, a one-year-old, could not stay there more than eight hours. And so, and so I was, my job on those days was to pick Jonathan up at 2 p.m. Guess what I was doing at 2 p.m.? 
I was in a heated battle of racquetball with our senior pastor and our youth pastor, and I was winning. And I mean, I wasn't going to quit. I was going after it, going after it. And this was before cell phones, so nobody could really reach me. So around 4 p.m., I, I kind of mosey my way back to the church, and I realized that I had completely spaced out picking Jonathan up at 2 p.m. When I get to the church, I'm met at the, do at the door by our daycare director, uh, let, me, let me rephrase that. I met at the door by Ruth Bailey. I love Ruth Bailey. She's a, she's a sweet woman, very kind to us. But when it came to daycare rules, she was very strict. And she said, you, sir, are in big, big trouble. And then it hit me. Oh, no, I forgot to pick Jonathan up. Well, immediately, I went into my office. I called the house, tried to reach Christy. She wouldn't answer. Then I went home, and she wasn't there. No note, nothing to let me know where she was. So I go back to the office, and I, you know, I have to speak that night. It's a Wednesday night. We had a Wednesday night service. I had to speak that night. You know how hard it is to prepare a sermon or to work on a message when you know that your wife is mad at you? <laughs> I mean, it was nearly impossible. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm fretting over this whole thing when I get a call from Christy, and she says, hey, it was about 6.30, about 30 minutes before service was about to start. She goes, hey, I'm, uh, I'm bringing Jonathan to church. I want you to take him to the nursery. I'm not going to church. Well, I try to talk her out of it. I'm saying, come on, I'm sorry. You know, it shouldn't happen, you know. But no, I'm not going to church. Well, she pulls up to the church parking lot. I'm standing out in the parking lot. I start taking Jonathan out of the, the car seat and I'm close the door and I'm about to say something when she just drives off. And I'm, it just, I mean, I was a mess. I took Jonathan to the nursery. I'm sitting in my office. Then I go out to the parking lot looking for her, waiting for her. Seven o'clock hit. Our service started. It was in, in this other part of the building. Our service started, and it's going on. It's 7.20. I'm still out in the parking lot waiting for Christy to come back. And it was, it was just so crazy. One of my church members comes down to where I was and says, hey, pastor, worship is almost over, and you got to speak soon. Are you, are you coming? What, what's going on? What do we need to do? And I, and I told him. I actually lied to him. I said, you know, Christy's on her way. She's going to drop something off for me, and I need to pick it up. So I'm waiting for her. And then he looked at me kind of strange, like, no, pastor, no, no, Sister Christy, she's up in church. She's sitting there. She's been in worship service the whole time. Well, I felt a sense of relief, but then I also felt a sense of, like, panic, because I go up there. Now I have to get in the pulpit, open up my Bible, and I start preaching. And I started preaching, and she's sitting to my right, so I was, like, not making any eye contact to anybody on my right. I was just looking to the left. But the problem is, is as I was looking to the left, I could feel the daggers hitting me on the right side. You know, I, mean, I feel it it's just coming at me, you know? So I'm like two, three, two to three minutes into my, into my sermon when I realized I just can't do this. I closed my Bible. I started crying. I looked out of my congregation. I said, guys, I can't preach right now. And I looked at Christy in the eye and I said, Christy, I'm, I just want you to know I'm really, really sorry. I shouldn't have done that. She's bawling. And next thing I know, the whole church is bawling. Everybody's talking to each other. Everybody's forgiving each other. They're, they're repenting for things that they've done to each other. I mean, it was a, very special moment. But what it took, what it took was for me to swallow my pride and use this word, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I wish I could say that that was the last time I ever said I'm sorry to my wife or uh, that I ever needed to say I'm sorry to my wife. But it seems like I have a knack for ignoring her feelings, for overlooking her, her, her needs, and sometimes just saying things that are hurtful and damaging. And so I've had to say sorry, sorry so many times. And this is why I totally believe in this next statement. 
your relational success, your relational success, if you want your marriage to succeed, if you want your relationship with your kids to succeed, if you want your, your relationship with your parents to succeed, if you want your relationship with, with, with God to succeed, your relational success is dependent upon your ability to give and receive forgiveness. That the difference between a cold and distant marriage and a marriage that is vibrant and intimate is oftentimes that very simple word, I'm sorry. The difference between a close relationship with your parents or your kids and one that's always butting heads, you're always at each other, you're always, you're always fighting with each other is oftentimes that simple word, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Relational, relational success, whether it's at work or at home or at school, oftentimes happens when we develop the ability to give and receive forgiveness. So if there's a person in your life that you're having a conflict with right now, maybe it's a, an in-law, maybe it's a, 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 a neighbor, a coworker, your own wife, your own husband, your son, your daughter, your, your father, your mother, and you're having difficulty, there's conflict going on, it's likely that one or both of you have refused to say, I'm sorry. Why is it so hard to say this word? Why is it so hard for us to say, why, why, it's just five letters, it's nothing. Why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? Why does it feel like saying I'm sorry is like choking down cough medicine? You know, we know it's good for us. We know we should take it, but it just tastes so bitter. It tastes so bad. I mean, I've had to say sorry many times in my life, but oftentimes it's not without a fight. I mean, when I've done something wrong, I've lost my temper, I've, I've, uh, I've hurt somebody that I love, and I've been confronted by them. You know, I don't go straight to sorry. I defend myself, I justify myself, I try to excuse myself, I try to blame others, I rationalize it. Why is it so hard to say, I'm sorry? In the Old Testament, there's this person, King David, you know of King David, I'm sure. He's a, very, he's a primary figure in the entire Bible. He's somebody who, who the Bible speaks about in so many parts of, of Scripture. Well, King David is referred to as a man after God's own heart. Now, what does it take to be a man after God's own heart? If I think about that language, a man after God's own heart, I'm thinking, gosh, you must like, get up at 4 o'clock in the morning and, and pray till 9, 9 a.m. And then you, then you go out and you start healing sick people and you start giving all your money away and you, you sacrifice for people and then you come back in the afternoon for more prayer and reading of the Bible and then you go back and serving people. And that, that, that must be what a man after God's own heart looks like. You know, that's what you might think. And what's interesting about David, though, is that one of the things that David did is that he had... He had an adulterous affair with a lady named Bathsheba. And then, I don't have time to get into the whole story. It's found in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But then through a series of events, instead of, uh, of actually confessing his sin and all that, he, he connives and he ends, up, he ends up having Bathsheba's husband killed. Terrible thing that happens. And so here's the thing. How can a person who commits adultery and murder also be called a person who is, who is after God's own heart. How can that possibly be? In Psalm 38, this is after David is confronted with his sin. In Psalm 38, verse 18, it says this, but I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I have done. I confess my sins. I am deeply sorry for what I've done. David doesn't blame others. 
He's not, he doesn't become defensive. Instead, he confesses his sin. He takes responsibility. He expressly feels sorry for what he has done. In fact, if you look at, if, in the Bible, right after David was confronted with his sin, he writes this psalm, the Psalm 51. It's a psalm, very familiar psalm to many people. In fact, if you've been in church for a long time, you know this psalm because we sing a song out of this psalm. Created me a clean heart. That's a song that we have sung you know, in, in the church for a long time. This is a psalm that David writes right after he's confronted with his sin with Bathsheba. Now, in this psalm, what we're going to find is three, th- three parts, three steps in finding relational wholeness and moving towards a sincere apology. We're going to look at that. But I realize that as I'm talking about a sincere apology, some of you listening to me right now, you're like, Rich, I didn't tune in on this Sunday morning to for you to kind of explain an apology, what an apology looks like. I mean, my goodness, I've got bigger issues in my life. I mean, I'm going through a divorce. I've got marriage problems. I've got, you know, my, my finances are upside down. My kids hate me. You know, you might have all kinds of things, all kinds of issues, and you might think that this is just nothing. Why am I talking about giving a sincere apology? Not, what I want you to understand is you should not underestimate the power of this word, I'm sorry. I mean, it has, this five little word can liberate your marriage. It can restore a relationship. It can change the trajectory of a relationship with your son or your daughter. In fact, I believe that using this old word, I'm sorry, releases the Holy Spirit in our life to do things in us that could never be done on our own. We don't have enough ingenuity. We don't have enough ability. And the Holy Spirit can work in our life by us simply using this word, I'm sorry. So it starts with the word sorry. So the first step in this relational wholeness, um, if and when we've sinned, is that we need to acknowledge that we were wrong. We need to acknowledge that we were wrong. I mean, David, he could have blamed. He could have become defensive. He could have compared himself to King Saul. I mean, King Saul did a lot of terrible things. He could have said, I'm not as bad as King Saul. Often that's how we do, right? When we sin, when we fail, we tend to justify ourselves. We tend to excuse ourselves because we compare ourselves to other people. We say, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. At least I'm not as bad as Charles Manson, right? But that's not what David does. Listen to what he says in verse three. He says, I recognize my shameful deeds. In other words, I acknowledge my sin. I recognize my shameful deeds. They haunt me day and night. What a chilling statement here, right? They haunt me day and night. Some of you are very familiar with, the, with those words, the haunting that comes from remorse. Like you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is that DUI that happened six, six, six months ago. Or you remember that, that terrible argument that you had and you said some things that you should, you should have never said, th- done things you should have never done, and now you haven't talked to your sister in over a year. Or you wake up in the morning and all you can think about is that deed that was done that you wish you could just undo. They haunt you day and night. David goes on in verse four, he says, against you, talking to God, against you and you alone have I sinned. I've done evil in your sight. You see, it's not that he's dismissing that he sinned against Bathsheba or that he sinned against Uriah. It's not like he's saying that's not important. 
He recognized that. But what he's recognizing is that in sinning against Bathsheba and sinning against Uriah, he was in fact sinning against God. I think oftentimes we use the word sorry very flippantly. Like we use the word sorry sort of to smooth over the relationship, right? We don't really mean it. We're not really, we're not really sorry for what we've done, but we just don't want them to be mad at us. So we say, I'm sorry. But David says, no, 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 no. This is much deeper than that. I recognize that I didn't just sin against them. He was king. He could have done whatever he wanted, but he recognized that he had sinned against God. There's an interesting thing about human beings is that we tend to rate ourselves a lot, well, a lot better than what we actually really are, right? Like we look ourselves in the mirror and like, you know, we look at ourselves and we're like, whoa, man, you look, you look good. You look hot, <laughs> you know? And, and then, and then, or, or, or maybe, you know, you're in the shower and you're singing, you know, the worship songs and you're telling yourself, man, I could sing as good as Josh. I could sing as good as Jairus. In fact, I should be on the worship team. And we, rate our, we tend to rate ourselves a lot better than what we really are. There was a study that went out um, that was uh, researching professors and their, and their capacity, how they rate themselves as educators. So understand, the study was about how do professors see themselves as educators? Interestingly, only 2%, only 2% of these professors actually th- believed that they were below average educators. Just 2%. Now, I've been in school for a long time. I went four years to one college and then four years to another college. Then I did a master's degree and three more years in a master's degree. I mean, I've been in school for a long time. And I guarantee you, more than 2% of my professors were below average educators. And yet, only 2% said they were below average. 63% said they were above average educators. And interestingly, 25% of them said they were truly exceptional educators. I've met some very exceptional educators, that's for sure. But I wouldn't say that 25% of my, ed, my professors were exceptional educators. We tend to rate ourselves better than what we are. In fact, driving, think about driving. 80% of us think that we are better drivers than what we really are. I know I'm a better driver than Chris Carey. Chris Carey thinks he's a better driver than me. But we all rate ourselves that way. And that's, that's the weird thing about sin. I am keenly aware of your sin, but woefully unaware of my own sin. I can't see it. That's why David says in, in Psalm 19, he says, who can discern their own errors? I mean, who can actually know that they have made mistakes? And then he says this, forgive my hidden faults. Too often, we just don't see the problem. We justify it, we excuse it, we ignore it. What's interesting about King David is that he didn't confess his sin until he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. Nathan confronts him and says, you're the one. It's this long story. You should, you should, it's, a very, it's a great story, but it's an amazing story of repentance. You should read it. The sad reality is the reason many of us have not confessed our sins yet it's because we haven't been caught. We haven't been discovered, right? It's, we, we tend to tell ourselves, you know, we're okay. When nobody knows, nobody's, nobody's aware, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll take care of that drinking problem or, or you know, I'll, I'll, I'll just do better with my wife. And we talk ourselves out of it. We, we tend to say, I don't need to tell anybody. Nobody needs to know. Listen, I've been there. I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to want to hide because you're afraid that you'll, you'll lose your reputation. You're afraid that people will think less of you. 
King David writes Psalm 51 right after he's confronted by, by Nathan the prophet. And he's, and he, and he's repentant. He, got, he wants God to forgive him. He recognized that. He had not acknowledged his sin. But here's what, what you find. A few years later, after some you know, reflection, he writes Psalm 32. This is a powerful, powerful re- review, reflection on what had happened before. In Psalm 32, verse one, he says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Now notice, he starts off with, oh, what joy. Like, this is a, this is a psalm of rejoicing. It's a psalm in which, which, in which he's talking about, this is, this is awesome, this is great. He says, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight whose lives are lived in complete honesty. David comes to terms with something. He recognizes that, that hiding, that excusing, that, that not acknowledging your sin is not the way to live, that we should be living our lives in complete honesty. He says, when I refuse to confess my sin, my body wasted away and I groaned all day long. In other words, when I refuse to open up, with my, when I refuse to live honestly, oh man, it was terrible. We suffered. Verse five, Psalm 32, verse five, he says this. Finally, I confessed all my sins to you and stopped trying to hide my guilt. And I think some of us that are listening right now need to hear this. God, I want to confess all my sins. I'm going to stop trying to hide all my guilt. Finally, I confess all my sins to you and I stopped trying to hide my guilt. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord and you Forgave me. I love that. I confess my rebellion. I'm not hiding anymore in God. You forgive me. All my guilt is gone. Maybe today is a good day for you to acknowledge your sin. Maybe today is a good day to say, yes, I am guilty. Yes, I have done wrong. Yes, I have sinned. Maybe it's your temper. Maybe it's hatred or selfishness. Maybe it's lust or maybe it's a drinking problem to acknowledge that, to pray, God, give me courage to confess this to a trusted friend, somebody who will keep the confidence. And here's what I promise you, if you can do that, if you can acknowledge your sin, you're on your way to receiving forgiveness. He says, and you forgave me, is what David says, you forgave me. So the first thing in in this process of, of learning how to apologize, learning how to use the word, I'm sorry, the first part is acknowledging that we're wrong. The second one is ask for forgiveness. Ask for, ask for forgiveness. Psalm 51, starting with verse nine, he says, don't keep looking at my sins. I, I read this sometimes. It sounds to me like a, like, you know, like a kid saying, hey, stop looking at me. Stop looking at me. I don't know if that's what, really what David's saying here. But it's like, don't keep looking at my sins. Like I can see David walking around. He's like, he looks up and says, there's God. He's looking at me. He's looking, oh, there, 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 goes, that, there goes that sinner. There goes that sinner. There goes that sinner. Maybe that's what he's feeling. But here's what, what the problem is. The, the reality is that oftentimes when we are hiding, when we're hiding sin, that's how we feel in our relationship to God, that God sees us all, all the time as a sinner. But David says, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain from my, of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, oh God. I have to tell you guys, this psalm has impacted me for the last 35 years. In fact, for the last 35 years, this has been my prayer. This has been what's been in my conversations with God when I've missed the mark, when I've, when I've said things hurtful to, Kate, to Christy, when I've, you know, when I've done things and said things to my kids. 
the, the pain that I've caused them when I've exploded on my, on my wife. This is the conversation I've been having. God, God created me a clean heart. Do you need to pray this prayer? Notice that David says, remove the stain of my guilt. Remove the stain of my guilt. In other words, God, will you forgive me? He's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for forgiveness. God, will you forgive me? Now, I want you to notice something. There is no buts in this, in this ask for forgiveness, right? I think we tend to do that. We tend to say, hey, I'm sorry, but. I'm sorry, but, right? And that's not really asking for forgiveness. That's not a real apology. That's a justification. That's a defense, right? Some of us have never learned how to truly apologize, how to truly ask for forgiveness. David doesn't do that. He simply says, God, will you forgive? I recognize, I acknowledge I'm a sin. I acknowledge I'm in the wrong. And God, will you just forgive me? See, using the word sorry has incredible power to diffuse the the dysfunction in your relationships, the brokenness in your relationships. Learning to say I'm sorry is able to diffuse diffuse that. Let me me illustrate that with a a graph here or a, a scale here. I have a scale here that basically is kind of measures the energy anger levels within a relationship, okay? So if you see here zero, it's a happy face. Everything's great. I'm happy. No problem. No, no emotional angst in my relationship. And then way over there in the end, there's a, you know, the devil look, you know, angry face. <laughs> and there's just all kinds of tension in the relationship, right? Now, hypothetically speaking, let's say that you were to pour your wife's coffee out before she was done drinking the coffee. Like you saw the cup there on the counter. It's sitting there and you poured it out, okay? Now, this is a hypothetical, for you, it actually happened to me, but let's say, let's just say hypothetically speaking, okay? So you pour the coffee out. Your wife shows up and she's like, hey, where's my coffee? I'm like, oh, I poured it out. She goes, why'd you do that? I didn't want you to pour my coffee out. She says that. And so what happens is immediately the energy level, level goes up. It goes up and she's upset, right? Now at this moment, I have a choice. At this moment, I could say to her, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize you were done with it. Forgive me. I won't do that again. And guess what? It just changes. It changes everything. It diffuses it and it goes back to zero. Or I could say, man, Christy, that coffee's been sitting there for two days. There's maggots growing out of the thing. It's disgusting. And how hard is it to just, you know, how hard is it to just make a a fresh cup of, we have a Keurig. You can make a fresh cup of coffee easily. Right? I could say that. If I say that, what happens is it raises the energy level again to maybe a six or a seven now. Now there's anger. Now there's arguing. You, you know what I'm talking about because you've experienced this. You've gone through this kind of stuff, right? And then she could, uh, she could potentially respond with, you know, oh, she could say something like, well, I'm sorry. I know. It's been sitting out a long time. Yeah, I get it. I understand how you feel. But you know what? Next time, will you just ask me before you pour it out? And guess what? It diffuses it. It comes back to zero again. Or she could say, she could, <laughs> or she could say, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna dump. What if I dump all your diet Dr. Peppers out of the refrigerator? And get, and you know, honestly, for me, that's like crossing the line. Next thing you know, man, we're just all out arguing, and we're we're talking about each other's family of origin, and we're like, you know, and 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 then you drive by the church, and I'm there's a. My brown truck is parked in the parking lot all the time and the glass, the glass is fogged up because Pastor Rich is sleeping in the parking lot at the church, you know? This is what happens. And guess what? H- how many of you have done that? 
You have this knockdown, drag out kind of argument over a cup of coffee. Just because one or both of us were unwilling to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? A few years back, I was preaching, and I was in, we were in North Liberty, and um, <clears throat> I'd preached a sermon, you know, I didn't think anything of it, spoke the sermon, you know, and all that, but, but there was somebody that got offended of something I said in the sermon. I never heard about it, nobody told me about it, but a few months later, I heard that this person was kind of talking against my character, you know, and and, I, and that kind of bothered me. I heard it kind of through the grapevine that somebody was talking about me and kind of maligning my character. And that's something I'm very conscientious of is my character, who I am as a person. And so I, uh, I, I got upset and I immediately called the person up and I said, hey, I'd like to meet with you. I'd like to talk with you, you know? And so we got together for coffee and um, started talking and found out that the problem was that I had said something in the sermon. I don't even remember what I'd said, but I'd said something in the sermon that offended her. And um, now, I had a choice at that moment. I could have said, well, wait a minute. You took that completely out of context. That's not even at all what I meant when I was saying what I said. Why, why did you do that? I could have done that. Or I could have even gone further. I could have said, hey, why have you been talking about me? I, I haven't been talking about you. Why have you been talking about me? But instead, what happened in that moment is I said, hey, I'm sorry. I see how you could have taken what I said and it could have been hurtful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that that happened. And it completely diffused it. And guess what? To this day, we're still friends. We're still great friends. Learning to say, will you forgive me? The power of those five little letters has the potential of really restoring relationships, restoring your marriage, right? So that's the second part it's to a sincere apology is, will you forgive me? The third part is this, is trust that God will forgive you. Trust that God will forgive you. First, we need to acknowledge our sin. Second, we need to ask for forgiveness. But then, thirdly, we need to trust that God will forgive us. Even if we go to that person and we say, hey, will you forgive me? And that person says, no, I'm not gonna forgive you. If you've acknowledged your sin, if you've asked for forgiveness, you can actually stand on the promises of God and trust that God will forgive you. In Psalm 51, 17, it says this, the sacrifices you want is a broken spirit, a broken and repentant heart. Oh God, you will not despise if your heart is broken. See, this is a promise of God. If your heart is broken, if you're contrite over your sin, God's not gonna turn his face against you. God's not gonna turn his back on. He will forgive you. He's not gonna despise you. This is something I think that some of you really need to embrace today. This is something I think some of you really need to hear today. That God will forgive you if you acknowledge your sin, acknowledge your wrongdoing, ask for forgiveness, that God will forgive you. He really will. Now, oftentimes what happens though is what I hear oftentimes in counseling is I don't feel forgiven. I acknowledge I was wrong. I ask for forgiveness, but I just don't feel forgiven, right? And they do all kinds of things. You know, they, they try all kinds of things to feel forgiven. What I've concluded actually is when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I don't feel forgiven, what they're actually saying is I am not actually living in the forgiveness that has been given to me. You understand this. Some of you have. When somebody comes to you and says, hey man, I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done what I did against you. And you say to that person, hey dude, no worries. I forgive you, you're good but then they don't feel forgiven. So they come back maybe a month later and say, hey man, I'm, I, again, I just want to apologize for what I did. And you're like, dude, I, I'm, I'm good. You're fine. 
you're forgiven. Don't worry about it. You know, if they do that twice, okay, no big deal. But when they come the third time or the fourth time, here's what the issue is. The issue isn't that forgiveness hasn't, hasn't been given. The issue is that forgiveness has not been received. God wants to forgive you. God will forgive you. In fact, David says, a broken and repentant heart, oh God, you will not despise. So as I'm concluding right now, I want to ask you, is there anybody that you need to go to and ask for forgiveness from? Is there something that as I was talking through this message and, and you were hearing me talk about the topic that it, I imagine the Holy Spirit was doing this. Even right now where you're sitting in your living room or wherever you're sitting, that the Holy Spirit is prompting you saying, yeah, there is this thing in your life that you've done wrong that has not yet been dealt with. And God's asking you to acknowledge that, to recognize that. And then to take a step further and ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's a, a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you might have to say to them, listen, I know in our relationship, I've been smothering us in our relationship. I've, I'm a little bit insecure in my, in my relationship. I, I'm a little bit controlling in this relationship. Will you forgive me? Maybe it's a coworker and you crossed the line and you said some things to a coworker that you should have never said. You need to go to them and say, hey man, I'm so sorry. I went too far with that. That was wrong on my part. Will you forgive me? Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe you need to go to your spouse and say, listen, I've lived, it seems like, I, it seems like my life is just so self-centered. It's all about me climbing the, 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 the corporate ladder. It's all about me working and trying to make money and I've just disregarded you. I've ignored your feelings. I've ignored your, who you are as a person. And I just want you to know that I'm very, very sorry for that. Will you forgive me? Maybe it's none of those. Maybe it's God. Maybe there's something hidden right now that nobody else knows. God knows, you know. And maybe that's what you need to do is go to God and say, God, will you forgive me? God, will you cleanse me? Will you take all of this out of my life right now? It's amazing what a simple word like sorry can do in our lives. Then, and only then, we'll be able to sing like David. So, oh, what joy. Oh, what joy, God, that you have taken this disobedience and you've cast it away. It's gone. You've, you've got, my, my sin is out of sight. You have forgiven me. We can sing with David that way. Oh, what joy. So the challenge for us, as you're listening right now, is have you acknowledged your wrongdoing? I know many times in my life I've had to. I've had to look at the, the beginning of restoring a relationship with my wife, restoring a relationship with my kids. If I had to step back and acknowledge where I went wrong. Then I had to take the next step and ask for forgiveness. Have you asked for forgiveness? Have you gone to them and said, no buts, no conditions, no justifications, none of that, just simply, will you forgive me? I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? And then lastly, if you do that, if you acknowledge your wrongdoing, if you ask for forgiveness, guess what? You can live in the joy that God does forgive. And so I hope that you, you experience that in your life. I want to pray for you right now. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you so much, first and foremost, for the cross of Jesus Christ, that he went to the cross, he gave his life on the cross, he shed his blood so that you and I, so all of us, could, have, could experience this forgiveness that we're talking about. 
because of what he did on the cross, we have the ability to, to go before God and ask for, for forgiveness and he forgives us. Not only that, but we also have the ability as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, to look at another person who's injured us, who's, who's offended us, and also extend that same forgiveness to them. So right now, Father, there are many people listening, many people hearing this message, and God, I'm asking that you will speak by your Holy Spirit, even right now. Maybe right now, Father, there's a couple sitting in their living room, and they need to look at each other and reconcile, repent, and ask for forgiveness. Maybe it's a father that needs to call a son aside and say, God, and I say, son, will you, can we go sit and talk? I need, to, I need to ask you to forgive me. There's power in a father asking a son for forgiveness. Father, I just ask that your Holy Spirit would just invade those rooms right now. In Jesus' name.